So, tonight, War of the Worlds, making sense of the war against Israel. There's war taking place in our world today. But the war that we see is being driven by a war that we cannot see. And this war that we cannot see has been raging since the first act of sinful rebellion. In Revelation 12, what it does for us is it zooms way out and it provides a panoramic view of this war. And if we look at God's word tonight, what we're going to find is incredible context for the conflict that we are seeing in the Middle East and in our world today. So we're going to jump right in, Revelation 12. Let's start by rereading verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. They should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So let's go ahead and, and, and teach through this text very quickly. Roman numeral one tonight, let's look at the characters. The characters that are here. First, we see the woman. We see the woman. Now, some want to confuse the simplicity of who the woman is. Now, cults such as the Christian scientists will say, well, this woman is Mary Baker Eddy. And uh, she is the woman here in this text who was given great revelation and, and birth to the Christian science movement. Well, guess what? The woman is not Mary Baker Eddy. It's not her. Catholics will say, this woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus. This woman is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Some Christians will say, well, this woman is the church. It is not. Did you notice this woman is with child? There is an issue here if this was the church. The issue of the virgin bride of Christ showing up pregnant. That's problematic. It's imagery that does not follow. The woman simply is Israel. You say, preacher, how do we know that? The symbolism is clear. If you look back at passages like Genesis 37, 9 and 10, this is Joseph's dream. And he dreamed a yet another dream. And behold, told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it unto his father and his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come down and bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Now we know that Joseph's dream did come true. Amen. 
But what we see here in this imagery, the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, this is the nation of Israel. Now, we have to understand the importance of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is important in the scripture and important in God's economy. Israel is the Lord's chosen earthly people. The church, we are the Lord's chosen spiritual people. But if you read the Bible, Israel, national Israel, has a special place in the plan of God's redemption and in the promise of God's restoration and recreation to come. Israel is a big, big part of God's plan. So the woman is who, church? It is Israel, the dragon. Now this one is easy. The dragon pictures Satan. This is Satan. In fact, it defines us for that. It defines it for us in verse 9 of this chapter. And the great dragon that was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan that deceiveth the whole world. So that's defined for us right in the text. So the dragon pictures Satan. Now what do we see here in this picture of Satan as a dragon? We see him as a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. The red of the dragon represents his bloodlust and the terror of this evil, evil creature. His horns represent power and dominion. Now, some have speculated that his seven heads could represent the seven empires that had persecuted God's people, namely Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and eventually the Antichrist's kingdom. But that, that is speculation. The dragon, though, we see what? Wages a war in heaven in his initial rebellion. And in verse 4, we see that the dragon, Satan, drew a third of the stars of heaven with him. And so we see here imagery that the dragon drew one-third of the angelic host in his rebellion. And we see there at the end of verse 4 that the dragon what? Stands ready to devour the child at any time. You know, it's good to know that Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan did not know when Jesus would come. And, but Satan was always ready with an attack. And we'll talk more on that in a bit. So the woman is who? Church, the woman is Israel. The dragon is Satan. And then in verses 5 and 6, we are introduced to the child. The child is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah who comes from the nation of Israel. When you study the Bible, the symmetry of God's word is beautiful. We started in the garden with what? A woman, a serpent, and a promise of her seed which was to come. We come to the book of Revelation, what do we find? A woman, a serpent, and the promise of a seed that is to come. 
Jesus is the promised seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. We see that promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Where there God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise or crush thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, the dragon certainly bruised the heel of Jesus, the Messiah, on the cross. But when Jesus got up out of that grave, he crushed the head of the serpent. And what do we see? That she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. You know what we see about this child? Though the dragon stood ready to devour the child, this child could not be harmed. Jesus came and fully accomplished all that the Father had given him to do. On the cross, he said, it is finished. He could not be harmed. You know what we see about Jesus, the promised seed of the woman? Not only could he not be harmed, he could not be hindered. He rules and reigns with a rod of iron. We talked about it from Psalm 2. Revelation 19, 16 pictures Jesus as what? King of kings and Lord of lords. He could not be harmed. He cannot be hindered. He is sovereign God. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 reminds us of that, that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, the dragon stood ready to devour the child at any moment. But Jesus, the Messiah, could not be harmed, could not be hindered, and could not be halted. He ascended to the Father, and one day he is coming again. The great dragon can do nothing to stop the great deliverer. In fact, before he left in Matthew 28, 18, he reminded us that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we see the characters tonight. The woman is who, church? It is the nation of Israel. The picture there is Jacob, is, is the sun, his wife, the moon, and his 12 sons, the 12 tribes, are those 12 stars. This woman is the nation of Israel. The great dragon is who? Satan. Satan, Satan waged war in heaven. War on earth. The child is who? The child is who? Jesus, the Messiah. So we see the characters. We're, we're confident there, Amen. The rest of this chapter details the conflict. And this is what we need to understand. This is where the war of the worlds comes into play. Because the battle that we see in front of us did not begin on earth. It began in heaven. It began in heaven. The battle began in heaven. Look with me beginning at verse number 7. And Don, we're going to go down through verse number 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place any found any more for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out under the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in, saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which is a curse, uh, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore, ye have, therefore rejoice, ye heavens and ye that dwell therein. But woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. We see here a picture of the battle in heaven. Here's the thing we know. The devil doesn't win his battle in heaven. The devil loses. Even in the great and final war in heaven, Michael leads the fight of the holy angels against Satan and his demonic hosts. And Satan loses his battle and is cast out of heaven. Great rejoicing for heaven, but great woe on the earth. And what do we find? We find when Satan lost his battle in heaven, Satan brought his battle to earth. In fact, in verse 13, we see this. And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Who's the man-child? Jesus. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so what do we find here at the end of this chapter? We find the war in heaven is settled. God and his holy angels win. And so Satan turns his attention to the woman. Again, we notice the symmetry. In Genesis, the woman, the serpent, and the seed. In Revelation, we see at the end, the woman, the serpent, and the seed. Now, in our text here, and we won't necessarily dive into it tonight, but there are a lot of tribulation implications here. And so we see a, a prophecy here regarding God's provision for the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And how even during the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, how God will protect and preserve the nation of Israel even though the dragon unleashes his full wrath upon her. But we find what? Because he lost his war in heaven... That Satan has turned his attention to earth. And the main target of Satan's war on earth is the woman, the nation of Israel. And we find here in Revelation 13 and throughout Scripture and throughout history, brutal warfare against the woman and her seed. 
we find that the devil loves to attack, number one, the Lord. That's where it started. But on earth, we find the devil loves to attack the lineage and even the land that God has promised to his people. And this, the dragon, and the wrath and the anger of the dragon against the woman is the demonic wickedness behind the anti-Semitic war and hostility that we see from the beginning to the present day. Now think with me. Genesis chapter 3, God promised what? That the seed of the woman would do what? Crush the head of the serpent. Genesis chapter 4, Eve had a man-child born unto her. His name was Abel. Can I ask you, do you think it's any coincidence that the first man-child, the first seed that was born, was also the first murder victim in human history? Do you think that's a coincidence? Or do you think, perhaps, the old serpent was trying to destroy God's plan? Fast forward with me. Since Satan couldn't necessarily pinpoint then who this child would be, the next best plan is to corrupt them all. Do you think it's any coincidence that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, that the thoughts and the intents of man was only wicked continually to the point where God had to do what? Destroy the world by a flood. Do you think it's any coincidence that by the time we get to Exodus 1, we have a Pharaoh that issues an edict that all Hebrew boys must die. Why in the world do you think Saul wanted to kill David so badly? You think about this. David was a shepherd. David did nothing but help Saul. David did nothing but help Saul militarily. David did nothing but help Saul personally. And yet Saul, under the oppression of an evil spirit, sought to kill David over and over and over again. Do you think that is a coincidence? Or could it be since the beginning of time, the dragon has waged a war against God, and now the dragon wages a war against the woman and against her child? We come to Matthew 2, and the Christ child is born. Emmanuel, God with us. What is Herod's response? To kill all of the children two years and under. You see, that old serpent, that great red dragon, he truly did stand ready to devour the child as soon as he was born. And he sought every which way to destroy the lineage that God had promised through the nation of Israel. Because if he could destroy the line, he could undermine God's promise. You think of other historical examples. You think of Haman in the book of Esther. Sought to wipe out the Jews. 
You think of even the Assyrian army that came into the northern tribe of Israel and literally wiped them out, took them captive, and, and, and they were gone. You think of the Babylonians who came and took them captive. You think of the Romans that came in and in AD 70, they destroyed the temple so much that the prophecy that Jesus gave, literally not one stone of the temple was left upon another. History tells us that they burnt the city with such heat and fire that the gold of the temple melted between the bricks. And so the soldiers literally pried the bricks of the temple apart to get every ounce of gold that they could. Literally not one stone was left upon another. You go throughout more modern history. How the Muslims have laid, tried to lay claim to the Holy Land. How the Muslim nations have sought to destroy the Jews at every turn. By the way, that conflict dates back to Abraham. Abraham and his sinful act of unfaith with Hagar. And Ishmael that was born of that. You think of the Muslim nations who have tried to destroy the line and take the land. Why in the world would a German fixate on the Jewish ethnicity. Because of the demonic war that is waged against them. The Holocaust, that's the great red dragon. Over and over and over again. Ezekiel 38 and 39 Ezekiel 38 and 39 is actually, it's an incredibly interesting portion of scripture. It is prophecy of a confederation of nations. A battle that we have not yet seen come against the nation of Israel. And as you read through Ezekiel 38 and 39, there are a couple of main players that stand out. Uh, the Bible mentions Gog and Rosh, which is our modern nation of Russia. The, the, the Bible mentions uh, the, the, the people of Meshach, which is the modern nation of Turkey. The Bible mentions Persia, which is the modern nation of Iran. Show, if you would, Ezekiel 38 in one picture. That's Ezekiel 38. That's Ezekiel 38. You realize that Russia has come out against Israel in this conflict that they currently face. You realize that Iran, who has repeatedly called for the annihilation of the nation of Israel, has, has come out strongly against Israel. In fact, today, they proclaim that Israel had crossed a red line and they were going to be forced to intervene. You realize that Turkey, who likes to present itself as a friend to the West... That their president, Erogdon, he spoke publicly the other day how that Israel is the oppressor and that Hamas, they are but liberators. Israel is the bad guy. And Ezekiel 38 tells of a confederation of nations that will swarm down upon Israel like a cloud to annihilate them. To try to catch them off guard in their day of safety. But if you read it, spoiler alert, they don't win. In fact, they lose to such an extent that the Bible says that they will have to hire full-time workers for seven months just to bury the bodies. 
that they will take seven years just to clean up the debris from the devastating loss that these countries will face. And I'm going to tell you, I, there's some debate whether Ezekiel 38 and 39 is, could be imminent prophecy or perhaps it's a picture of the battle of Armageddon. There's some discussion about that. But you look at our world today. It is very plausible that what? That Russia and Iran, they're the two on the outside, could look at each other and say, you know what? We both have neighbors we don't like. Why don't we help each other out? And all of a sudden, this thing gets a whole lot more interesting. You, I encourage you, go home tonight, read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and it lists some other African nations that just kind of follow along and do what they're told by those three guys. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is Ezekiel 38 and 39 in a picture. And it is, that confederation is a reality today. You consider all of this, the fact that the Jewish people still exist and the nation of Israel still exists is a strong proof that the Bible is real and true. Amen. We're not talking about the nation of the Philistines tonight. We're not talking about the nation of the Hittites tonight or the Amorites tonight or the Amalekites tonight. They've all changed and blended and gone here and gone there, but God has preserved the line of his people. And that's amazing. Because they're this tiny little nation in the midst of a whole lot of people that hate them. And yet to this day, they exist. And yet the dragon continues to wage his war against the woman. The imminent example right in front of us today is the war against Israel by Hamas. Now, I know a lot of this is old news, but uh, our missionary to the Jewish people, Brother Wilson, in our conversation, uh, developed, we developed a video, and I'm going to let him explain some of this at this time. So this is Brother Sam Wilson. He is our missionary to the Jewish people. We turn the sound up. Is the sound up on the? Uh... We have no sound. All right. Guess what, devil? We'll show it next week. <laughs> he talks in there about many of the atrocities that Hamas has committed against Israel. You hear about these reports, how they basically paraglided into music concerts and, and just shot hundreds of innocent people. How they walked into these neighborhoods and, and, and neighborhoods of 100 or 200 and they killed half or three quarters of the people, including beheading many babies. And you look at the atrocities that were perpetrated against the nation of Israel. And you look at the response of the world. I mentioned Turkey has condemned Israel, has called Hamas liberators. Iran has long called for the annihilation of Israel, something they call, quote, the final solution. There have been protests across major cities in Europe and America. 
In fact, I believe there was one in Dearborn the other day, and they chanted this, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now let me explain what that means. Do you know what lies between the river and the sea? The nation of Israel. And so when they say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, in essence they are saying, because Israel won't be there anymore. That's not a call for a ceasefire. That's not a call for peace. That's not a call for a two-state solution. That's a call for what Iran calls the final solution or the annihilation of Israel. And you have masses of people in America and in Europe marching and chanting these things. In fact, yesterday in London, there were over 100,000 people at a pro-Palestinian protest in London. Colleges and universities are openly calling Israel evil occupiers, tearing down memorials of pictures of hostages. There have been videos of, of Jewish college students in America who had to lock themselves in a library while peaceful protesters banged on the doors and screamed. And you wonder, how can such civilized, rational, okay, civilized, rational, educated people, how can they hold such views? It is because of the demonic oppression and demonic deception that is behind it. This is demonic. It is the war of the great red dragon against the woman. You see, you and I, we can't see the spiritual realm. But God pulls back the curtain for us. This is what is behind what you are seeing and reading and experiencing. And it breaks my heart when I see people pro-Palestinian rallies calling them liberators and Israel colonializing oppressors because that is demonic. It is demonic. So, we see the characters. We see the conflict. Now, what is our conclusion? What do we do with this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts and then we're done tonight. First of all, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. Now, let me give you a point of balance here. National Israel isn't infallible. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean that the nation of Israel doesn't get a blank check to do whatever they want, and we just blindly support anything and everything they do. They are fallible human beings just like we are. They don't get a blank check. But they are still God's people. And God still has plans for the nation of Israel. You look at Old Testament prophecies and promises that God has given his people that have not yet been fulfilled. This is really the subject of Romans 9 through 11, that God is not done with Israel. You look at Revelation 5, really through Revelation 19, and you find Israel as a a cornerstone of what God does in the end times. God is not done with Israel. He has promised them a physical earthly kingdom where Messiah will rule and reign for a thousand years. The thing is, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. 
In other words, God will fulfill every one of his promises to the nation of Israel. They are still God's chosen earthly people. And so why we don't necessarily give them a blank check to do whatever we want, and we don't put on the blinders and just support, oh, it's Israel, so I have to give it a thumbs up. No, but we do stand with Israel, and we do pray for Israel. What do we pray? We pray first for their salvation, because national Israel right now is blinded to the truth of the gospel. They need to be saved just like you and I need to be saved. And so we pray for their salvation. We pray for safety and the peace of Jerusalem. How do we stand with Israel? We pray for Israel. We support Israel. We call out hate when we see it. Why? Because the hate that we see is demonic. It is driven by the dragon. And so church, what do we do with this? We unapologetically stand with and pray for Israel. Preacher, what do we do with this? This war in the Middle East is awful. What if Iran gets involved? I mean, you know, we just gave them $6 billion to develop nuclear weapons or something. Sorry, I didn't mean to get political. What if Iran gets involved? What if Russia gets involved? What if we see Ezekiel 38 and 39? What if we, what, 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 what if, what do we do with this? Church, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Preacher, what do you mean? I read this, and you know what I find? As bad as it gets, the dragon doesn't win. Oh, he does everything he can, but the dragon doesn't win. In fact, I'll put it this way. The dragon cannot win. And no matter what the dragon does, God advances his plan. Think of it this way. For us as a church, the Bible has promised what? Matthew 16 and verse 18. That the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. In 1 John 3, in verse number 8, we see this. Don, you put 1 John 3, 8 up there for me. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8, we see this. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. The dragon cannot win. In fact, John says in chapter 4 and verse number 4, that ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when we look at it from the church's perspective, what happens when the dragon attacks the church? Well, when the dragon threw Christians in jail, what happened? The Christians converted the jailers, amen? When the dragon tortured Christians, what happened? The Christians just became partakers of Christ's sufferings and received greater reward. The dragon tried to kill Christians. What happened? We just got to go be with Jesus. And then when the dragon just tried to turn them loose, they turned the world upside down. The dragon cannot win. And so be strong and have a good courage. Church, we see... Prophetic truths being borne out in front of our very eyes. 
And we know what? That when we see these things, we need to turn our gaze where? Because our redemption draws nigh. Be encouraged. Stand strong. And with great courage, we are on the winning side. The dragon cannot win. So the dragon will continue his long war against the woman and against her seed. We're going to stand with Israel. We're going to pray for Israel. We're going to call out the demonic influence that is behind what we see. And we're going to stand strong and with great courage. Because we know, no matter how bad it looks, the dragon doesn't win.